And now uh, Seth McCoy is going to bring the message. He's our new youth pastor. He's got a great word for you today. Thanks. Um, do you ever wish you could go back in time? Oh, yeah, this is a good response. I always wish I could go back in time. Uh, and at different times in my life, I want to go back to different periods. So right now I'm trying to do Weight Watchers. So actually, I want to go back to the time period before we even discovered trans fats or cholesterol. I know there was a day when those didn't even exist. Because so, I remember a time in my life when I was in high school that it didn't exist. I could basically eat a horse and I still weighed like 72 pounds. So I'd go to, I went to this church in uh, Southern California and uh, for my age, they, it was back in the day when churches had Sunday school. And uh, so I went to Sunday school. I don't know why they called it that because I didn't really learn anything like school, but it was on Sunday. So I guess they're half right. Um, but, and, and the other weird thing is this Sunday school class was in a Masonic temple. I want to see how she's going to do Masonic temple. I'm, I want to learn. Very nice work there. <laughs> um, and so sometimes when the class was boring, we would check out and go exploring in a Masonic temple. Anybody ever been in like the bowels of a Masonic temple? Yeah, weird stuff in there. If you can avoid it, you should. Uh, but then we'd mark our calendars because we had a, on the fourth Sunday of the month, our Sunday school teacher would bring donuts for everyone. And there was about 100 people in the class, so usually that was about 200 donuts. Now I've come to figure out there's two kinds of people in the world when it comes to donuts. There's some people who go to the donut shop and they want a dozen donuts and the person behind the counter says, do you want an assortment or do you want to pick them? And I've realized there's some people who give the wrong answer to that, that's assorted. Uh, and there's some people like me who have the right answer to that, which is I want control. I only want in that box of donuts that I like. I'm not really concerned about other people. Um, you're learning a little bit about me here today. But I have a favorite donut. Um, and, I mean, besides the Krispy Kreme, I think some of us have talked about that in the past. But that's a whole other category. That's not even a donut. That's like a drug, I think. <laughs> so this is a donut, and they, they sort of fry it because they fry all donuts. And then they cover it in powdered sugar, which may be like the second best substance known to humankind, powdered sugar. Um, it's in a lot of the things that I like and appreciate. But then they have this magical, there must be a machine somewhere. I haven't seen it yet. Maybe it comes from like Willy Wonka's factory. But they found a way to inject, uh, what do you call the substance? Love, hope. <laughs> they inject it right in the center of this donut. And uh, yeah, some people call it lemon filling. I have other words for it. So... Well, I would get there early enough where I could pick out all of the lemon-filled powder donuts and put six of those on my plate. Um, yeah, kind of a selfish jerk, wasn't I? Changed now. Um, there's a couple of traumatic experiences I've had in my life that have really scarred me. One day I went to Sunday school class, and I, had, I got all the donuts that were my kind, and I was eating them, and I hit the fourth one. And I picked the fifth one up, and it was a little bit light. And I thought, oh, that's curious. This one feels like it's a different weight. Maybe, it's a, you know, maybe they found another way to make the filling. And I bit into the donut, and uh, I'm getting choked up. I'm still dealing with a lot of emotion about this experience. <laughs> and uh, there was nothing inside. 
it was empty. Uh, so we're in this series now called The Beautiful Mess, and we're sorting through what did Jesus mean when he talked about life? And today we're going to talk about heart reflections. Because Jesus had a way of understanding that, that we are... Um, the important things about us aren't on the outside. The important things are what's, what's in our center. What is it that's in the middle of who we are? And the Bible uses the word heart for that. Uh, I don't think that means like the muscle that pumps blood. I think it means something else, something in the center of who you are. And so that's a little what we're going to talk about today. Um, so we're going to pick up our, uh, our Bibles, and we're going to open up to the book of Luke. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, yeah, there's a table of contents usually in the front of your Bible. If you're not sure where Luke is at, it should give you a page number that you can go to. I use it all the time for books like Amos. I'm still not sure exactly where that's at. Or Malachi. Yeah. Some people are just getting that. Some people will get that tomorrow. You can email me. Ha ha. And I'll, I'll accept that. No deduction for late points there. All right. So Luke chapter 6. Um, Again, Jesus is teaching one of his sermons, uh, one of the central sermons that he taught. Now, Jesus being a guy who went lots of different places and taught about lots of the same things. Um, and here we have a chunk that's sort of all together that aren't different unrelated pieces. There's sort of a centering of thought that he has through the whole thing. So we're going to pick up in Luke 6, 43 and try to talk about what he's saying here and, uh, and then how it's connected to some of the other things that he talks about. Okay, here we go. Um, hey, the, this is the TNIV version on the screen. Sometimes when I have a different version, it's almost just as easy for me to close mine up and look on the screen. So if you want to do that, that's cool. All right, here we go. Jesus says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Verse 45 says, good people bring good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And the second part shouldn't be hard. Evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in the center, like a lemon-filled donut, you squeeze it, what's in the center is going to come out. And when you open your mouth, we'll find out what's on the inside. Now, this isn't the only place that Jesus talked about that. In fact, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 7. One of the things that I think is really cool about the Bible is, like, they could have just given us one gospel with everything in there that we needed. I think it's actually cool that there's four. It's like four different perspectives on some of the same stuff. And so we're going to look at Matthew, who's another guy uh, who wrote about Jesus. We're going to look at some of his perspective and what he thought. But before we do... Um, why don't we pray? But before we pray, I think in the back of the room, there's uh, an air conditioning unit that may be making some crazy noises above your head. We want you to know that we know about that and uh, that at no point is it going to fall through the roof onto your heads. So I'm sorry if it's a little bit distracting, but you're safe, okay? All right. Well, let's pray, huh? Jesus, we... Um, we remember that it's you who said where two or more humans are in a room, something more than human happens because you're here. 
And you gave us a lot of power in each other's lives. There's a lot that we can do. We can encourage people. We can make people feel things and think about things. We can sing together like we've already done and hold hands or we can celebrate together. But there's one thing that we can't do. We can't change what's inside of people. Only you can. So now that there's more than two of us here, we want to remember that in some very mysterious and special way, you're here in a way that you're not when it's just us by ourselves. So we ask that you would, during this time, do the special work that you do when we get together. You're as mysterious as the wind, and the Spirit moves back and forth. We don't know where He's coming, and we don't know where He's going. But we pray that today we'd feel His breeze in our hearts, and that you'd breathe life into us and speak truth to us this morning. Amen. Amen. All right, well, I told you that we were going to look in Matthew chapter 7 at some of the same verses, so maybe you've already turned there. Uh, If you haven't, it's going to be up on the screens. So Jesus starts differently than Luke does. In verse 15, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Interesting those two sentences together. Because have we ever before seen a prophet dressed up in animal skins? Yeah, we have. His name was John the Baptist. Seems like there's some connection between the prophet and animal skins that it's almost like Jesus is picking up and wants them to hear about. Although John the Baptist was a true prophet, there'll be other ones that come who dress up like something that they're not. Maybe some of those would be right in the same sermon, Pharisees or others. Verse 16, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus raises the stakes. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Why does Jesus talk about false prophets? You know, sometimes in the Bible, when we approach Jesus or we think about him, we have sometimes an easier picture of Jesus as the Savior. We see and understand what that means. We know that Jesus was a teacher. We know that he was the Son of God. There's lots of categories that when we think about Jesus, make sense to us. But one of the categories that I've really struggled with is seeing Jesus as a prophet. Because it seems like we don't often talk like that, or at least I don't. But yet, if you look at the Gospels, one of the things that almost everyone agreed about, there'd be lots of discussion whether he was the Son of God. In fact, lots of people were not interested in even hearing that he was the Son of God. There was lots of murmur and questioning, is he the Messiah? Is he or is he not? But almost everyone was pretty settled that he was a prophet. Because they had context for what a prophet was. For all of their history, prophets were gifts from God. Prophets would come to them as the nation of Israel, the people of God, and they would send God's message, but in really weird ways. One time, God told the prophet that he had to marry a prostitute and stay married to her because through his marriage, God wanted to speak to the nation of Israel about how she was an unfaithful bride, just like this prophet had an unfaithful bride. See, for the prophets, it wasn't always just about what they said. They were called to do like a little performance, a little drama that would help people see what it is that God wanted to say. 
And when you read the Gospels with that lens on, it makes sense why we see Jesus doing such crazy things. Why does he gather people on the side of a mountain and break bread and fish and multiply it for folks? Why does he put a towel over his arm and wash people's feet? He does almost these little mini-dramas that help people understand what it is, the message that he's bringing. And it's as if he's saying, when I say watch out for false prophets, what I'm saying is that I am the true one. And you, as my disciples, will have to learn to distinguish between the two. Because I'm not going to be here forever. In fact, I'm not going to be here much longer. And did you know that within a hundred years of Jesus, both on the front and the back side of his life, there are no less than ten people, ten young Jewish men, who claim to be prophets and claim to be the Son of God, who went up in the mountains, like kind of like where the Sermon on the Mount was given, and gathered some young guys together in the same ways that Jesus did, shared with them their vision of what he saw the future like, rallied some resources together and marched to Jerusalem because that's where all messiahs have to go. They have to go to Jerusalem. They shook their fist at Caesar and they all died the same way, the same way that Jesus did. Most of them died on a cross. And yet none of us have ever really heard of any of the other ones, maybe one or two of us. So the question comes up for the disciples, Jesus, how will we know if you're the true one and these others will be false and they'll have sheep's clothing on, how will we be able to tell that they're not real? Now, I'm at a very sad time in my life where I've discovered that I'm overweight and going to have to actually do something about it. So my wife joined this program called Weight Watchers and I reluctantly am going along for the ride. But if anyone says the word point to me this morning, I'm going to choke you, so <laughs> don't do that. I'm not interested in that. One of my first jobs, um, I worked at Red Lobster. I was a server. And one of the really cool things about that is at the end of a shift, you could usually eat a meal for free or severely discounted. And again, this was back in the day when I didn't know what a trans fat was. I thought maybe it was a car that looked like a Corvette. Um, so I would, sometimes I would skip the meal and go straight for one of my favorite desserts, a piece of carrot cake. So I'd go to the, I'd go to the thing, carrot cake, it's just uh, another, I'm, am I making you hungry? It's like all I ever talk about is food. No wonder I got to do Weight Watchers. <laughs> it's like they cover over the fact that it's carrots with enough sugar and butter that your mouth actually likes the taste of it. And this one was a monstrous piece, cream cheese frosting, like that thick. So then my wife comes home the other day, really, really excited. She's like, Seth, I found carrot cake that we can eat. Oh. <laughs> yeah, sure you did. She pulls out this box with these little individually wrapped snacks. So I brought one to show you. I thought you might get a kick out of this. Sad. Just to help you see some perspective here. That's as big as one finger. Not, not the same. Not the same. This is an imposter. Uh, a false prophet. And I could help you figure. It looks like you're the real thing, but it's not. Trust me. 
It's cute. <laughs> yeah. It's dog food. That's what that is. But Jesus gives us another way to tell. He says, you want to know who the imposters are? Uh, the interesting thing about Jesus is sometimes, maybe you should think about this. Given that Jesus could say anything he wants to, why does he pick fruit and trees? Well, I think a couple reasons. One, fruit is organic. It is, it is what naturally comes out of a tree. You don't have to do anything to it. You don't have to make it uh, happen. At no point does it not happen. If you're a fruit tree, you bear fruit. Other thing that's interesting is within the fruit is seeds, so that the, the nature of what fruit is, it continually has this outward effect of reproducing. That ideally within a tree, generation after generation after generation could naturally come out of one, one piece of fruit. Maybe there was, you know, maybe the disciples are like 12 pieces of fruit. And that because they had seeds, they reproduce over and over and over again. And here we are, a whole gathering of you know, a thousand or more trees from just a few folks in the beginning. But the other thing is, sometimes I read this story about the fruit and the trees, and I, I thought Jesus was comparing fruit. Like for me, I'd go, well, like an apple and an orange. Hey, you know, here's a... No, maybe we pick a fruit that I don't like. Pomegranate. Like an apple and a pomegranate. Uh, that one fruit is really good and delicious, the other fruit is nasty. Um... <laughs> But that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't really even compare two kinds of fruit. He compares a fig tree to a thorn bush. See, there's not even two kinds of fruit that Jesus is talking about. He's really talking about there's fruit or there's thorns. This tastes good, brings life. Who's really going to gather a handful of thorns and eat them? Who's going to grab a couple of those round briars and eat that instead of grapes? It's really a no contest. It's not like it will be really that hard. And in our Bible, sometimes when we have, because we have an English language and sometimes it can be limited, um, we sometimes have to translate words that are different words to the same English words. So when Jesus says... Um, I, a good tree produces good fruit. Those aren't the same words when Jesus talked about them. The word good when it describes the tree is more like sound, healthy, solid. A sound, healthy tree produces good fruit. But the good fruit, the word that gets used there, is a lot like the word that God used after for six days he created our world. And then he sat back and said, this is good could be translated beautiful, could be translated excellent in every way. Out of a sound tree comes fruit that's beautiful and excellent. And I can't help but think about when Jesus talks about fruit. I, my mind can't help but forward to Paul, another sort of great leader and writer of the early church who we get a lot of in the Bible. And he actually talks some about fruit. So if you have your Bible, would you turn over to the New Testament book of Galatians, chapter 5? If you don't have it again, it'll be on the screens. Um, and we're going to see what does Paul say about this. Here we go. Galatians 5, 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit. 
and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. See, I have a nature that desires carrot cake with seven sticks of butter and cream cheese, but that's contrary to my desire to not be a huge man. <laughs> um, so inside of me, there's both of these desires. And the problem is, is they're not neutral. They fight against each other. If I'm to do one, I won't do the other. They can't coexist. So let's pick it up at verse 19. The, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. As obvious as fruit is from thorns. You won't have a hard time picking the fruit out. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred. It's not hard to pick out hatred, is it? Discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Not hard to pick out a fit of rage, is it? Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then the scene changes, and we get a different list of activities. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that comes out of a sound tree, is love joy, peace, not hatred, patience, kindness, goodness, not selfish ambition, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I saw this guy who teaches. He's pretty popular. And sometimes he teaches like using a video. So he's like giving a message and there's stuff happening all around him. And so he's talking, and he's like in a big orchestra hall, and there's like violins and French horns and timpani, isn't that what you call the big drum? And, uh, and then in the center, there's a guy on a piano and a guitar player and a drummer, and he's up in the balcony talking. But every once in a while, the camera goes back, and he's talking about Jesus. And while he's talking about Jesus, the guy sitting at the piano starts to play a little tune. Pretty simple chord progression, but really beautiful. So out of the silence in the orchestra hall comes this one lone sound of a piano playing this really beautiful tune. And everyone's just kind of listening to it, picking up the melody, listening to it. And then one by one, they hear the song that's being played, and then they take their instrument and start playing something that goes with it. They're not playing the same thing. They're playing harmonies. We're playing variations. And he talks about how it's almost like Jesus was like this piano player that in a world full of silence where there was nothing beautiful. It's like Jesus sat down on a piano and one lone guy started to play this tune. He started to live this life of love and peace and beauty. And slowly, one by one, some of the other people around him started looking at that tune and saying, you know what? I, I want to live that way. And so they picked up their lives and their instrument and they started playing some of the same tune. And he says, what if Christianity is not so much about knowing the right stuff, it's about hearing the tune that Jesus is playing, the song that's been going, and finding our own place to play the song. 
How do we sing a song of love and of joy and of peace? Now, Jesus didn't just talk about fruit. The other thing he talked about, he talked about trees. And um, now we have to always remember whenever we hear Jesus talking that Jesus is Jewish, um, not Norwegian. So he didn't eat lutefisk. I'm sorry to tell you folks. Um, so whenever we hear Jesus talk, we should always first think about, well, if Jesus as a Jewish teacher who primarily taught to audiences that were Jewish, what kind of code language might he have used? What things might he be saying that I may not hear because I don't really understand? And in a Jewish way of teaching, there's this thing called the rule of the first mention. So if a rabbi or a teacher starts talking about something and they're using a metaphor or some other object, as soon as the rabbi starts to do that, what you should start doing mentally is rewinding the tapes about everything you know about the scriptures and go, where's the first time I've heard or seen something like what he's talking about now? So let's do that for a second. Would you rewind your tapes of what you know in the Bible? Where's the first time you've ever seen two trees that both have fruit? Winter. Yeah. Garden of Eden. The whole account of the Bible starts out with this being called God, who's holy, always does what's right and perfect and true. And out of nothingness, he just speaks a word and light comes. In the whole universe, he creates this little teeny speck called planet Earth. And on that planet, he plants a little garden in one corner of it. And in that garden, he puts human beings. And in that garden, it says there's a beautiful river that waters the whole garden, that waters two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now here Jesus is telling a story to these Jewish people about two trees with different fruit. And you can't help but think about, he's talking about one tree that's true, that's sound, that's full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Doesn't that sound like life? He's painting another tree of selfish ambition of thorns that when you eat of that tree, you get all cut up inside. But that's not, the trees aren't the only thing that the these listeners would have had to use the, the law of the first mention. He's also not just talking about any tree. He's talking about a fig tree. And when a Jewish person hears the word fig tree, you know what they hear? This us is a nation. The fig tree is what's been used to describe who we are. He uses a grapevine. Anybody ever heard Jesus say, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then we won't go too far into it, but Jesus goes on and talks and makes some of the same point, but instead of talking about two trees, he talks about two humans. Two humans that are doing the same thing, building a house. One of them chooses to do it on rock, the other chooses to do it on sand. And we think those are completely different things. But what is sand? Disintegrated rock. Not that different, are they? Now, for a Jewish person to hear about two different humans, knowing that Jesus just talked about false prophets and true ones, and now he talks about a person building a house on a rock, you, they wouldn't be able to help but think about the temple. 
In Jesus' day, the temple was the center of religious life, what it meant to be Jewish. That's where God lived in that house. You know, even if you went to Jerusalem today, um, the place where the temple used to be, there's a mosque now. You know what the mosque is called? Al-Aqsa, Dome of the Rock, house built on the rock. And it's, later on, Jesus will say, I'll destroy the temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. People freak out. What are you talking about? He says, you're going to have to build your life on this rock. I'm the rock, not that house on the rock. It's almost as if Jesus is inviting his disciples to learn a whole new way of life. Because the way that they're used to is going away. The temple is going to disappear. And the false prophets will come and paint different pictures about a different kind of life. But when you swallow their teaching, it's thorns. And when you taste mine, it's life. Here's my problem with this whole message. On some days I'm like this tree full of love and life, joy and peace and gentleness, but a lot of days I'm that tree. What do I do if I feel stuck between? Well, here's one thing I shouldn't do. I shouldn't try to tie apples onto the thorn bush. That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? But don't we do that all the time? Don't we try to address our lives without getting to the root but dealing with the symptoms? I'll change by not saying certain words or watching certain kinds of movies, listening to certain kinds of music, wearing certain kinds of clothes. Isn't that a ridiculous approach? It should be, but I went to a church like this. I grew up in a church like this. I started off with this. On my street, there was like three churches in a row. So it was like, if you didn't like one, you know, you just sort of slid up to the next one and so I started off as a Presbyterian. When my parents adopted me, that was the church that they took me to. And I'm trying to think, if, if, how would they have answered, or how did they answer the question, how do you change from this kind of tree, which we all can be and are, into this kind of a tree that I think we all want to be more like? And their answer was kind of like a rowboat. Here's where you are. On the other side of the water is where you want to be. Here's a Bible and something else, uh, offering plate maybe. And those are your two paddles. If, if you use those, you just, you'll paddle your way across. Good luck. I got about 10% into it, and I just said, my arms are tired. I can't do this. I can't reshape my heart. So then I went up to the next church. I said, well, I wonder what you have to say. It was a Pentecostal church, Assembly of God. Again, I'm not saying that all churches are like these. I'm just sharing my experiences. They were on the opposite end of the spectrum. Well, their services were a lot more fun. Thing, weird things were happening all the time that were interesting. Enough said about that. But I think after being there for a little while, if I was to ask them, how do I answer this question? How do I change from being this kind of a tree to being this kind of a tree? Because I really want to. It's almost like they put me on a raft and said, um, if you go to the right service or hear the right preacher or read the right book or get in the right camp meeting, if the music is hot enough and the paint peels on the ceilings and we swing on the chandeliers enough and roll down the aisles fast enough, then revival will happen and God will miraculously, instantaneously change you from this into that. 
So I rolled and swang and sung and shook, and I did all kinds of stuff. And then I'd wake up on Monday morning still like that and wanting to be like this. I had some friends in town, some students that I worked with for a few years. They came in town to visit, which is always cool. And uh, it was a nice day, and I found out that if I walked around Lake Calhoun, I got nine more points that I could eat that day. So I was like, I'm in. I'm eating. I'm having steak tonight. That whole time I'm walking steak. Maybe it does work then, huh? So we took a halftime break, and we went out and sat on this little dock that floats in the water out at Lake Calhoun. And uh, it's a really nice day, and the wind's blowing pretty good. And there's guys windsurfing out there. I think someday I might like to windsurf if I could change the outfit. The, that's a little weird. Skin tight men. That's something about that's weird to me. Um, so if I could come up with a baggy wetsuit, I could wear. So he's windsurfing, and I'm watching him. He's kind of far away, and as I sit there, he's getting closer and closer and moving with some speed. Um, and then I realize if he continues on the same trajectory, he's going to hit me with the point of his surfboard. And I start getting concerned, and he doesn't look concerned at all, and that makes me more concerned. And then just when he gets close enough, he very gently slides over to the other side of the board, swings the sail around, board does a turn, and he moves off in a whole different direction. And I started thinking, hmm, there's a human being who figure out how to dance with the wind. He can't make the wind, but he can sense where it's coming from. And his whole thing is, i got to get my sail pointed the right way so this wind that I can't create will move me somewhere that I want to go. And maybe that's the picture for how you change from this into that. You can't change yourself. Did you know that? There's only one person who can reshape a heart. Who's that? Yeah, God and Jesus. So do we get on the raft and sit back and say, well, it's all him. He can, he can do it. I can't. Or does it make more sense for us to say, where's the wind blowing? If I'm an angry person, where could I put myself where a fresh wind could blow through that could take me somewhere that I'm not now? If I'm an impatient, self-centered person, maybe I should go work in a home full of mentally handicapped people who will love me based not on how I perform, but whether or not I'm around whether or not I'll listen or color with them or laugh with them. Maybe that kind of activity would, maybe God could use those people to shape my heart. Maybe you say, why should I shape my heart at all? I think it's a good question. I've been reading a book that I really like, and I thought there was a part in here that I wanted to read to you. It's not too long, and hopefully it's not boring. Um, so here we go. Each year at Reed College, which is in Portland, they have a festival called Ren Fair. They shut down the campus so students can party. Security keeps the authorities away. Imagine that. That might be nice. Well, not really. And everybody gets pretty drunk and high, and some people get naked. Friday night is mostly about getting drunk, and Saturday night is about getting high. The school brings in White Bird, which is a medical unit that specializes in treating drug overdoses. The students create special lounges with black lights and television screens to enhance kids' mushroom trips. Some of the Christian students in our little group decided this was a pretty good place to come out of the closet, letting everyone know that there were a few Christians on this campus. 
Tony and I were sitting around in my room one afternoon talking about what to do, how to explain who we were to a group of students who in the past had expressed some hostility towards Christians. Like our friends, we felt like Ren Fair was the time to do this. I said we should build a confession booth in the middle of campus and paint a sign on it that said, Confess Your Sins. I said this because I knew a lot of people would be sinning. And Christian spirituality starts by confessing our sins and repenting, right? I also said it as a joke, but Tony thought it was brilliant. He sat there on my couch with his mind in the clouds, and he was scaring me because for a second and then for a minute, I actually believed he wanted to do it. Tony, I said very gently, what, he said with a blank stare at the opposite wall, we're not going to do this, I told him. He moved his gaze down the wall and directly into my eyes, and a smile came over his face. Oh, we are, Don. We certainly are. We're going to build a confession booth. So we met in the commons, some of my friends, Penny and Nadine and Mitch and Ivan and Tony. And Tony said, I had an idea, so they all looked at me. I told them that Tony was lying, <laughs> that I didn't have an idea at all. They looked at Tony. Tony looked at me with a dirty look in his eye and told me to tell him the idea. I told him I had a stupid idea that we couldn't do without getting attacked. They leaned in. <laughs> I told him we should build a confession booth in the middle of campus and paint a sign on it that said, Confess Your Sins. Penny put her hands over her mouth. Nadine smiled. Ivan laughed. Mitch started drawing the designs for the booth on a napkin. You know people like that? All right, here we go. Sketch it out. Tony nodded his head. I wet my pants. They'll probably burn it down, Nadine said. Mitch drew up a trap door. <laughs> I like it, Don. Ivan patted me on the back. I don't want anything to do with it, Penny said. Neither do I, I told her. Okay, you guys, Tony gathered everyone's attention. Here's the catch, he said. He leaned in a little and collected his thoughts. He said, we're not actually going to accept confessions. We looked at him confused, and he continued. We are going to give confession. We're going to confess to them that as people who are following Jesus, we have not been very loving. We've been bitter. We haven't been very loving. We've been bitter. And for that, we're sorry. We will apologize for things like the Crusades will apologize for neglecting the poor and the lonely. We'll ask them to forgive us. We'll tell them that in our selfishness, we have misrepresented Jesus. We'll tell people who come into that booth that Jesus loves them. And all of us sat there in silence because it was obvious that in Tony's words was something beautiful and true. You see, we don't just try to change our fruit so that our lives can be better. This isn't the last place in the Bible that we see someone talk about two trees and fruit. In fact, you don't have to turn your Bible. We're going to bring it up on the screen. I wanted to read you some from one of the last chapters in the Bible, the book of Revelation, and see if you notice anything. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Huh, a garden with a river. Have you ever seen that before? 
It's as clear as crystal, and it's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, which is Jesus, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river, some, uh, some translations say stood two trees. On each side of the river stood trees of life. Huh. And they were bearing 12 crops of fruit. How many disciples were there? Hmm. How many tribes of Israel were there? Hmm. And did they yield their fruit only in season? Yield their fruit every month. And maybe the most moving sentence I've ever read in Scripture, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Anybody know any nations that need healing? You see, in the end, there aren't two trees. There aren't two kinds of trees. What happens if our dying and hurting and broken and crying world go hunting for trees and all they can find is a thorn bush? What happens if they go where there's supposed to be beautiful fruit coming from a sound tree, fruit that they can eat that will bring life to them? But we can't figure it out. We're not these trees, we're these trees. It's like I would beg of you and of me too. We have to change our hearts so that we bear fruit, not for us, but for our world. For the healing of the nations. I just want to give you a second to think about something. Maybe you want to close your eyes and bow your head. Maybe that'd help you concentrate. Where is there an area of your life where you're not bearing fruit? You're not bringing life to people? If they followed you or if they were around you, it'd be like swallowing thorns. Anger, sexual immorality, hatred, jealousy. Where is there an area, not all of them, just think of one. Where is there one area where you're not bringing life, you're bringing death? Now, how could you windsurf? Where could you find an activity or something that you could do that you could put yourself in that environment and maybe by doing that activity, it could start to change that in you. God could start to change your heart. Lord, we pray that you would give us the honesty and the courage to look at ourselves in the mirror and be honest about where we're not bringing life but death. And then Spirit, lead us and speak to us about what environments we could find that would help reshape our hearts where we could go, where we'd be challenged to be something, to be more of who you created us to be. Lord, let Woodland Hills Church be like a, a garden grove of trees that bear fruit, fruit that brings healing to the nations, to the neighborhoods, to the people in our lives, that they can taste beautiful fruit, not swallow thorns when they're around us. And only you can do that. We need you. Amen.
hey, if you want to pray with someone, there's going to be people up here who'd love to chat with you and pray with you. And uh, I just want to say thanks for listening and have a great week.